Philadelphia, and you, and you see a lot of uh, New York transplants here. Philadelphia is a city where it's large, but it, you can easily get into the mainstream of what's happening. Welcome to this edition of Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. Today is a very special edition of the show. I thought it was time to travel out of Seattle, literally, and visit the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. I had the opportunity to sit down with someone who was at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Sorry, Joe. Couldn't resist. Fake news, I know. My interview with Mr. Philadelphia, Joe Giacovini, will take up the entire show today. So let's get with it. For the last 20 plus years, I've had the opportunity to travel to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. My wife and I go back there once or twice a year because that is where my wife grew up. One of the people I've gotten to know over the years is a man by the name of Joseph Giacovini. And he was born in Philadelphia. He attended the College of Holy Cross. He got his Bachelor of Arts degree there. A little side story, that's where my dad went to college. Then he went on to Harvard Law School and then Villanova University. Now, Joe is the senior partner and chairman of Dilworth Paxson, specializing in corporate law and corporate litigation. Philadelphia is sandwiched in between New York and Washington, D.C. It's almost right smack in the middle on the coast. And I think it often gets overlooked because of that, the glitz of the government in D.C. And, of course, there's New York. How can you compete with that? But there is another story developing that I've seen over the years, and Philadelphia is becoming a very special place, and I think going in some great directions. I wanted to ask Joe, what are the stereotypes of Philadelphia that we may have picked up over the years not being so familiar with it? We all know about the Liberty Bell, Independence Hall, and of course the Art Museum, which is not really famous for the books inside, but of course Rocky running up the steps in the movie Rocky some years ago. Now Joe grew up in Philadelphia, in South Philadelphia, so he has been there his entire life. He lives close to downtown Philadelphia right now, so there's no one really in a better position to talk about the city than Joe. So we started the conversation when I suggested we get to the starting point of how did Philadelphia develop after World War II? And after the war with the GI Bill, and there was a tremendous movement out into the suburbs. And that really drained Philadelphia and other cities like Philadelphia of young people. And so the population dwindled, a number of manufacturing plants closed. I mean, the city was just hemorrhaging people and uh, and reputation. You had that exodus of, uh, of college graduates and professionals outside of Philadelphia. And that went on for uh, a number of years. It started to change, I would say, about 25 years ago. That's when there was a, a movement when a number of, of people who had reached a certain age, 60 or above, decided to sell the large houses and mansions out on the main line and move into center city Philadelphia where they had easier access to transportation to the medical centers and the city is blessed with first-rate medical centers with University of Pennsylvania 
and uh, Jefferson. Uh, You're like University leading. of Pennsylvania, like top four in the country. Yes, I mean, you know, in the in the world, in the I world, mean, and as well as, you know, you know, you talk about just the uh, the, the medical uh, facilities, but but also the universities. You've got Penn and you've got Drexel, uh, which I've been associated with over the years, and uh, you have St. Joe's, Villanova, LaSalle. I mean, all top-notch schools. Starting about 25 years ago, there was this movement back into the city, and it was sort of a slow trickle. But you would start to see condos being built in the city and people moving back. And uh, even though there was a wage tax, a lot of the young people wanted to stay in the city, even though their jobs may have been out in the suburbs, but a nightlife built up. And so you have young people wanting to stay in the city because of the nightlife and the activities that were available to them. And so when you have that convergence of young and old, well, you have restaurants coming online. You have uh, retail coming online. In fact, one of the largest urban retail operations will open up next year. It's uh, called Fashion District of Philadelphia. And so you have a city that at one time was really dominated by uh, Quaker influence and everything was understated. There was no ostentatious displays of emotion or grandiosity or whatever. It, it, It was very understated. Interestingly, Philadelphia is at the epicenter the very epicenter of the largest consumer market in the world, from New York to the Virginias, from the Atlantic Ocean out to the Ohio's. And think about that, that's, that's got to be 50 million people. Uh, you know, that's why with uh, Amazon selecting sort of the Washington area for one of its satellite headquarters, no surprise, and New York, frankly, I think Philadelphia will benefit tremendously from that, even though the headquarters are not here, simply because of the cost of living, the cost of real estate. I was going to ask you about the uh, effort here. I knew Philadelphia was one of the cities being considered for Amazon. And I, and I actually thought Pittsburgh or Philadelphia had a good chance, not that I knew anything inside. But in some ways, I think you're right. I think uh, when it comes into a city, it certainly has... Seattle's not the same city it was 10 years ago with uh, the headquarters, and there's a lot of good news to that. There's a lot of bad news to that. It has changed the city quite a bit. We've got a seriously homeless crisis there now and all the other things, not getting into that. But I think you raise a good point. You're going to be sandwiched kind of in between Washington and New York again, which you kind of are in some ways. You have been historically, and I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit. But then get the benefits of that because of the real estate. Well, the commute to New York. On the Acela, it's you know, an hour and 15 minutes. Some people do that every day of their lives. Uh, Washington, uh, maybe an hour and 50 minutes. I've heard that a lot of people commute to New York from here. I mean, they buy the real oh, estate yeah. here and live here, and they're going up sure. to New York and living. A high per- or not, I don't know what the high percentage is, but quite a few people are doing that. Sure. And probably the same down to Washington, I would imagine. No question about it. Built by William Penn, and uh, right in between two main rivers, the Delaware River and the Schuylkill River. You know, the Delaware being a major cargo port. And uh, I knew a little bit about that since I, I chaired the Philadelphia Regional Port Corporation. I imagine you know a little bit about that then. Well, you know, you, you, live, you live long enough in this city and uh, you, you get to meet just about everybody, which is an interesting point, which is Philadelphia 
and you, and you see a lot of uh, New York transplants here. Philadelphia is a city where it's large, but it, you can easily get into the mainstream of what's happening in business and in uh, a social standpoint, you know, it's just so hard to do in New, in New York and Washington. They're almost, I'll say this as a Philadelphian, almost too big. Here, it's much more manageable. Meritocracy city, where if you're on the merits, if you're good at what you do in your profession, in business, and you contribute back to society, you, I mean, there, there is no uh, ceiling. What do you think the biggest myth is about Philadelphia, or myths that you travel and you hear, well, Philadelphia is this way, like for example, from Seattle, wherever I go anywhere, the first thing anybody says to me, oh, it always rains there. I don't care where I go, what I have, they, that's printed in their heads and I gotta go, yeah, it does, okay. What do you hear? Is there anything like that that when you travel that you, I'm from Philadelphia. You know, I think, I think Philadelphia, for a long, long time, uh, again, I go back to the Quaker influence, was sort of viewed as this uh, backwater town that was once the nation's capital, has, has wonderful historic buildings, uh, you know, uh, Independence Hall and, you know, the Liberty Bell and, uh, you know, the, the Betsy Ross's house and the Franklin Court and so forth. But the view was Rocky running up the steps. Well, you have Rocky. You yeah. forget that one. Right? Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, people just feel that you know it never really advanced beyond there, and and it's 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 just a misnomer. It, it's it's there, but but like a lot of things, it's waiting to be rediscovered. Maybe waiting's the wrong word. I, I'm not sure. I'm, we wait for that. I think it is being rediscovered. When you think about it, Philadelphia is ringed by the top pharmaceutical companies. It's not just North Jersey, the pharmaceutical. Big Pharma is right around Philadelphia. I think our biggest drawback right now is you know, the educational system at the primary level. and The public uh, schools? The high school. Uh, yeah, and when you compare the amount of money which is spent per public school student in Philadelphia with the, you know, the per student expense paid for students out in the suburbs. It's like six, seven, eight to one. And so I, I think you've got to get the school system straightened away. And, and we do have a poverty issue here too, in all fairness. Uh, and, uh, and, that, and that's not just along racial lines. I, I think some people get left behind that is a fact of life. It's not a pleasant fact of life, but uh, it's true. And you get lost generations. But I think education is, is critical. But I think there's something even more important that comes before education. And it's always the chicken and egg uh, issue, which is you know, having a job, a good paying job, you know, gives dignity to someone. I look back, what would I do if I didn't have those opportunities? I may still be hanging on a street corner in South Philadelphia and doing things that I shouldn't be doing. Before the solution, there has to be a recognition of what the problem is. The city of Philadelphia, which has a fleet of police cars and fire department cars, municipal cars, and they have their own garage and maintenance people to look after it. They take on 
each year, I wish the numbers were 100 times, but I don't know, like maybe 10 young people out of high school investing more in uh, you know, those kinds of trade programs, I think is a, is a good way of getting young people necessary skills in order to advance. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You may have already said this, but if there is one thing that you could wake up tomorrow and say, this is the Joe Jacobini creed, and this is what I want done by the end of the day, and the snap of your fingers, it would be done. What would that be? Well, <laughs> I wish I could create 100,000 new jobs where young people would have an opportunity to make a, you know, a reasonable living wage. That's what I would hope for if, if I could do it. And it was, frankly, not until H.H. H. Drexel came around and it was in about 1892 uh, when he created Drexel University that he realized that there was this tremendous need that had to be fulfilled on a larger scale for middle management Uh, and and as he said very far-reaching for the time that it was to create opportunities for working men and women women too you know, an opportunity to receive a higher education and, and then uh, advance, you know, into the management uh, levels. And uh, that's how Drexel started, the Drexel Institute at that time. Some years later, uh, you know, quite successful. I happened to chair Drexel for a few years. You were the trustees? Uh, I was, yeah, I, I chaired the board of trustees back in like 2000 to 2006 when we actually finalized the acquisition of the medical school, the old, uh, you know, Hahnemann, MCP, St. Chris, and then we created a law school and created an online, and so it's, I think we need more of that in this country. I mean, I, I mean, you know, the cyber world is, is not for everybody. I think we have to recognize that. I don't mean to pontificate here, but no, I no, no, yeah, but I, I mean, but you know, as we talk about it, certainly, I, I I think that there are there are practical things that need to be done and will continue that will continue to be a need for them presents tremendous opportunities for young men and women. How about the uh, political system here? Not to get specific, sure. what reforms do you think need to be made that would help what you're advocating along? Well, it's funny, when uh, I first uh, became a voting age, uh, there was a, uh, there had been a swing from 50 years of Republican control in the city uh, to the Democrats under Richardson Dilworth, who was a great mentor to me. Actually, he gave me my first job, and I've been with right, the law firm, firm which bears his name ever right since. Now, sure. and, uh, and so there was a tremendous change. And so there's been, since the 50s, sort of you know, just continuous democratic control. I, I, I think what's happened is there have been two influences, I think which are natural influence, but I don't think they've necessarily uh, enabled the city to make the best decisions. And, uh, you know, not, not to be unkind, but I, but I, I think, you know, one, I you was know, dealing with the unions, because this is a union town. And 
you know, sometimes you got to make decisions which are not necessarily that way. And I think other issues along racial lines, you know, have been made which have not always been thought through in, in, in the sense of the long-term consequences. And I think we just have to have a little more confidence and get a little bit better at, at, at just saying, look, I understand the, the concerns. Let's look long-term. You know, where are we going to be? five years from now, ten years from now, and not just immediate political uh, expediencies. So, to some extent, I think uh, uh, government has uh, has been a bit of a drawback. Not, not to- you know, it, it sort of ebbs and flows depending on who the mayor is. Sure. I mean, and uh, each mayor had his own detractors. You know, Frank Rizzo, <laughs> the detractors are, are many, but when he was mayor, you know, city of Philadelphia got the four or five hundred million dollars to build the commuter uh, tunnel, uh, which really opened up the city. And uh, that was when Bill Coleman, a son of Philadelphia, was uh, secretary of transportation under Jerry Ford. He was a partner of mine uh, for some years before he went to Washington. And I, I think uh, Mayor Kenny today is is trying. He's really putting a tremendous emphasis on education, and I I, I think that's that's well, that's in your wheelhouse. Yeah, and uh, it's not easy. You know, living in the city, you can. Yeah, you've lived in the city pretty much your entire life. No, we have. My wife and I never wanted to move out, and I never regretted it. Uh, she was from North Philadelphia. I was from South Philadelphia. So we settled in the middle. Actually, Dick Dover said, you know, Joe, he said, we need young people in the city. He says, you should look in Society Hill. And the big urban renewal in the city occurred under Richardson Dilworth and uh, Ed Bacon, who was his uh, planning director. And they realized that it was critical to preserve all of the historical buildings and the historical downtown. And, and they started Society Hill, and Dick moved in there. And that's, you know, we've lived in Society Hill for 50 years, and I love New York. I have a daughter who lives in New York, but I, there's nothing even close to what you have in Society Hill, the Rittenhouse Square area. It's walkable, it's livable, it's clean, it's young. There are restaurants sprouting up all over. It's a very pleasurable city. I said I've been coming here for 20 years with my wife, grew up in Philadelphia, Chestnut Hill. What I've seen is the real advancement, I think, in the city in the area that I've just seen in the last 20 years. I mean, we stayed at uh, Rittenhouse Square just a few days ago. Yeah, it's just a uh, happening place. It's a, a happening. it's a very walkable city. You can walk from Rittenhouse Square, you know, down to Washington Square and hit all the, uh, I mean, you know, all of the historical sites. And, uh, and don't forget, you know, to the Jersey Shore, where you're talking Cape May, Stone Harbor, North Wildwood, Avalon, I mean, you know, it's within an hour, 15 minutes to an hour and a half, uh, you know, for people, you know, you know, who care for that. We're surrounded, as you know, Paul, by many good, uh, you know, great golf clubs, you know, from Marion to... Uh, it hasn't improved my game, though, Joe. <laughs> well, that's why they're hard. <laughs> Well, I say that's me. That's on me. I'm no. just saying. I wish it would. Well, but uh, you know, you have all those amenities, 
which are really delighted. I mean, right now we're sitting in the Union League, which is right. You know, Historical building that would back. be yes. I was going to get to that Union League. This building, yes, Civil War, right? Yeah, it, it was. It was. It was built to hold what they called. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, uh, word, but it was called a sanitary, and that was it was to raise money for the Union cause, and uh, it, and so you're surrounded. I mean, there's a wonderful room here, as you you know, the Lincoln Room, which you know. You know, with the Gettysburg Address there, this this very poignant statue of, uh, of Abe Lincoln. You know, but that's that's part of old Philadelphia, but it's also part of new Philadelphia. I mean, at one time, the membership was limited to people who could trace their roots way back. Well, you know, I've been a member here close to 50 years. You know, with an Italian surname. You know, I've seen significant changes that will continue to occur. I mean, when I joined my firm, I was the first person with an Italian surname in a major Philadelphia law firm, okay. which was interesting. Well, our firm also, and I'm very proud of this, was the first firm in 19, it would be about 1930. It was, it was started by a Catholic, a Protestant, and a Jew. Murdoch, Kalish, and Green. Dick Dilworth came a few years later. And then in the 50s, he brought into the firm Bill Coleman. He was at Thompson's class at Penn, went to Harvard Law School, clerked for Felix Frankfurter in Pennsylvania, in the United States Supreme Court, Couldn't, could not get a job in Philadelphia because he happened to be African-American. <laughs> well, even though he came from Germantown. Dilworth met with him. Uh, actually, at the time, Dick was, I think, leaving the firm and was, was becoming the district attorney. Uh, before he then became mayor, and he wanted a Bill to go there. Bill said no, so he said, okay, you come to our firm. And he created, I, I mean, a real maelstrom of, 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 I mean, it broke the color barrier in Philadelphia. They couldn't understand how they could have done this. And, uh, and it's interesting, I didn't hear this until, oh, years, years later, Bill Coleman was being honored down in Washington by the Supreme Court. And I was honored to be invited. And, uh, and Bill told a story which I had not heard of. And that was that a couple days after Dick Dilworth hired Coleman, and there was this big uh, hoopla about how could you do this, and people wanted, secretaries wanted to, re, you know, wanted resign, to resign. And, and he said, okay. go ahead and resign. He, you know, he said, we're doing the right thing. Walter Annenberg called Dick Dilworth. And Dick had always represented, he represented his father, Mo, and, and, uh, and Walter. And he says, you know, Dick, he says, hiring young Coleman, he says, you did the right thing. And I want you to know that if you lose any business as a result of that, I've got it covered. Now, you know, they don't make people like that wow, <laughs> anymore. Um... But that was, you know, just... just you know, wonderful expression of, you know, people who were real men. I mean, Dick, I mean, he was, he fought, left Yale, fought in uh, the Marines, uh, World War One, wounded uh, at the Battle of Baloo Woods, hurt his shoulder, uh, it was wounded uh, very seriously. And then uh, World War Two, up again, you know, in the South Pacific. So, uh, you know, quite a, 
quite a guy and a great mentor to me. You said the year when Mr. Coleman was hired at Dilworth. What year was that about? I mean, what was it? I would say it was in the. Uh, I would say it was in the mid fifties. Okay, even before yeah. the civil rights of the sixties. So that was ten. Well, actually, Bill, 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 then went on while he was a member of the Dilworth firm to work with their good marshal. Oh. on the Brown v. Board of Education case. I'll be done. And actually, briefs were written in our law offices uh, in connection with that case. And uh, and then when I joined the firm, I got involved with Bill with the Girard College case uh, and uh, involving the, the will of Stephen Girard. And that was a great experience working with him on that and the creation of the SEPTA, the Southeast Pennsylvania Transportation Authority. Bill became quite a transportation special you know that's why Jerry Ford selected him to be Secretary of Transportation mm -hmm. uh, when he was president uh, Bill was a Republican so you know I was blessed you know to have worked with you know people uh, that were real standouts like Dick Dilworth and uh, Bill Coleman Harold Cohn who was top guy from Penn who was probably the top trial lawyer of the 20th century in, certainly in Pennsylvania, mm. and uh, you know they were they were they they I mean they they were more than just lawyers they they were char characters and and persons who believed in giving back to the community and uh, and they did they were very generous and were involved in you know many of the of the movements and efforts to just make society better for everybody so. It was quite experience for a young guy. Great, yes. <laughs> and it continues to go. <laughs> well, we keep, try to keep it on. Yeah. <laughs> you have to give back, Paul, as you know. You know, you look back on a career and uh, the advantages you were given and opportunities to, you know, do some really unique things. And, uh, and but, I, but I attribute it all to the environment that I'm living in. I mean, Philadelphia is a pretty open society here. I always think of all the things you, you've talked about and things, that's probably your banner. If that, that doesn't happen in a lot of places where this type of environment it's, it's is... It's funny, you sort of see that, you said it before I said it, and, and it's true. Sometimes it takes somebody outside as you listen to what's going on to, to realize uh, it is a city of... To, to realize uh, it is a city of great opportunities. Uh, and I think young people are starting to see that. Uh, and, uh, and I think that bodes well for the future. So should you change your motto to, from brotherly love to city of opportunities? Or uh, asterisk, you're not going to get rid of that. Well, of I think we're going to. I think, about, I think we're going to get you over here. I like that. I, you know, opportunities. Yeah, there you go. Equal the city of opportunities. Equal opportunities. Sure. I don't think. I don't know. <laughs> well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. No, I've, I've had opportunities, uh, but I, I, I always, uh, you know, the eternal lure of the Phillies winning the World Series, and we did in 08, by the way. That was a great time. They're, they're great on the practice range, but, the, you know, when the, when the pressure's on. It's like you and, Here, you take you and me playing golf. That's why we are not doing that right now. <laughs> no, thank you. All right, well, this my thanks to Mr. Philadelphia, Joe Giacovini. We are out of time. This interview will be replayed this Friday at 1.30 p.m. Have a great rest of the week or weekend.
This all depends on when you're listening to the show. Quote of the day, truth is the most valuable asset we have. Let's accommodate it. Mark Twain.